Hello, everyone, and welcome to Week Manga Recap here on June the 26th of 2019. It's Wednesday, which means it's Weekly Manga Recap time. Chris. Yes. There's a grand conspiracy afoot, Nick. Yes. Uh, Shonen Jump. It's meant to screw specifically us. Only our show over. Yeah. Uh, Shonen, no one else. Uh, Shonen Jump. Uh, who at one time declared us their, their eternal podcast rivals, uh, mm-hmm. have, uh, they, they, they know when we record, they have to know. I mean, they probably don't pay attention, but they have to know. I just assume everybody knows. I assume if you walked up to any person on the street, you say, what time does Weekly Manga Recap start? They'll be like, well, they say seven at 30, but, uh, and then, you know, they figure it out from there. Shona Jump puts out a, a tweet that says... Chapter 315.1 of Food Wars is out. And I click that link. And there ain't no chapter 315.1 of Food Wars. This is about 20 minutes before we go live. So I'm looking all over the place. I'm like, I don't know what's happened. Suddenly, the tweet's gone. It's vanished. Like, Kurt Angle, after a night of heavy drinking, got onto Twitter and tweeted oh. some stuff he shouldn't, and then immediately was like, "I was hacked." How, does, I was hacked. <laughs> how do I, how do I fix phone? Uh, they they pretended it didn't exist, so I was like, "Oh, okay." So those of you playing the uh, play, play, placing bets on when the wrestling reference drops in the episode, there you go. First, uh-huh. yeah, I wanted to get it first three minutes. Yeah, uh, so it's like, oh, okay, I guess we won't get it. But then showed a jump. Those crafty crafty individuals wait until we are literally just about to press record and start the show and then they're like hey, here it is guys just gonna drop it off there and they're they're trying to sabotage us nick they didn't want to give us enough time to read and digest this chapter because they're afraid of our opinions which are mostly i don't know i, I kind of flipped through it it seemed okay i don't really have that i don't have strong thoughts one way or the other but they are trying to sabotage us this is a, this is the grand Shonen Jump conspiracy, which is what I'm going to title this episode, so we can get a lot of clicks on YouTube because somebody will think it's about something more significant. Yeah, there you go. We could like put up a picture of uh, someone of his, and then like you know uh, put up like um, some made up hashtag like uh, is, and then say it's like is uh, full of uh, of conspiracists and liars. Or ex- oh, put up a put up a uh, just put up a picture of some random person. Say that they work at Viz, and it says "exposed" next to it. And uh, yeah. there you go. And then uh, there's, maybe, there's maybe... like a there's like a one of those you know cross out symbols. You know the the circular with the line through it uh, on there. Uh, oh, because we're canceling them. Yes, exactly. We're we're gonna cancel culture. Shonen Jump, mm-hmm. the lifeblood of this entire podcast. <laughs> that would cause us to lose much of our ability to actually do anything and make money by doing a podcast <laughs> have anything worth talking about <laughs> so guys we're just gonna go talk about the Crunchyroll series instead <laughs> <laughs> hey you guys uh you guys ever check out a sound voice you did three different times now well uh-huh. doing it again but chris the chapter did come out which means that we can add it into our discussion this week and uh, so let's just do that. Let's. That's fair. Yeah. We're not going to let them win. You know. No. They, in they fact, want to defeat us. In fact, we're just going to put it in the same place we always put food wars in the lineup. Not going to let it affect the immediacy of it affect anything. 
Mm-hmm. I'm just going to talk about My Hero Academia first. So yeah, there they, you go. They, they think we're rattled. But you're not going to win, Viz. <laughs> you're, we're in your head now, Shonen Jump. <laughs> it's like somewhere out there, like, <laughs> like Jeff sits up from his desk. He's like, Weekly manga, what now? <laughs> and, then goes, <laughs> and then goes right back to doing gotcha pulls. <laughs> Is that some way that I can get another free pull today? <laughs> the weekly manga recap. <laughs> All right. Let's kick off with My Hero Academia, why don't we? Uh, it is chapter number 233, Bright Future. This opens with a uh, bit of first aid being uh, implemented by Twice. Toga is still, you know, very heavily injured and uh, dying, basically. So uh, Twice has to take her measurements so that he can properly create a double of her. And he actually apologizes while he's doing it, saying, like, yeah, like, I... Sorry, I don't have a choice here. You know, I know you're a girl and this is kind of you know, skeezy of me to do, but I need to do this to save your life. Meanwhile, the clones that are there are like, oh, let me measure her. And he's like, this is serious, you guys. Fuck you. <laughs> also, I mean, they do make a point considering he's doing this with two broken arms, but still, they're so creepy about it. Uh, did, did you, I guess, see the the horikoshi apology what did uh what was that about i didn't uh, hear about it. so i guess he realized that he made a mistake here because he's Ooh. insinuating here that twice has never used his power on toga before and that's why he needs her measurements now but i guess he did use it uh-huh. and made a clone of her during the overhaul arc so right. he made it down to apology which is not part of the grand shonen jump conspiracy that's but, pro- that's openness so yeah no. yeah but I think it confirms that he's an ally of, of Weekly Manga Recap. He was probably, like, when the time was ticking down, like, we're going to send out this tweet and ruin Weekly Manga Recap. He was there at the door being held back by, like, three giant mouse. He's like, no! Weekly Manga Recap! I must give them information so that they don't say something and then immediately look foolish when I apologize mid-episode. <laughs> I must warn them! Um... But I guess he needs to do it. So whatever. Anyway, so um, he basically has to summon a copy of her uh, as she is now, which does hinder her, uh, hinder him in doing a blood transfusion because um, this person that he is transferring blood from. Uh, oh yeah, they also. Um, I've lost a lot of blood, so it's not going as great as it could be. Uh, We get a lot more explanation about how his quirk works, because at the point that he reproduces them, they are updated to the point of the most recent time that Twice saw them in terms of their memories and thoughts and personality. uh, And their physical body is the same as the last time he measured them. So... There's a lot of details to how his ability works. It's, it's an incredibly complex ability, but I guess it makes sense because he can create an endless supply of sentient beings. So there have to be a lot of things about how it works. So it is something that's odd where you're just like, so I guess this is to explain that he can't just create any single person he sees. But like, does he have to know exact measurements? Can he guesstimate it? Like if he's like, it took was like five, four. And then she was like five, five. When she come out, she's like, ah! Monster! Oh, when, the way he explained it to Overhaul was he has to know them like inside and out, basically. Mm. So, I, 
I guess he's actually really smart if he can just memorize all these details about someone's physical form. So, yeah. Um, however, as he is uh, treating Toga, uh, that um, doll guy shows up uh, and uh, he's summoning more dolls for him to uh, attack. And so they, we just kind of cut away from that scene uh, with that happening as uh, he approaches. Uh, Spinner is with some of the Toys clones. Uh, they are trying to get to the politician guy uh, who is, you know, rallying the troops and everything. Uh, and Spinner's like, I've got to go and kill that guy, you know, so that he will not give people a power boost. Um, and he, he rouses off like, you know, you're a command and enhancer. You should be at the front line. If you don't know your role, you'll get an insta block. And the politician's like, you young people with your inscrutable lingo. Oh, are you going to use a blockchain on me to get your Bitcoin value up or whatever the fuck it is? You can't cancel culture me. And that's what fucking... Skinner or uh, whatever his name is just to like come in he's just like hey Bitcoin's up again now's the time invest give my fake money value all money's fake no don't tell me that it's a special kind of better currency it's a better better kind of currency so is it currency or is it no it's both shut up anyway the politician, whose name is Hanabata, uh, let's call him Trumpet, though, because that's his codename. And it's, uh, oh, that's that Trumpet is the um, name of the device that he uses, I think. No, I think Seven's Loud is the name of the... Kito. I think, seven, I think Seven's uh, Loud is the name of the item, and he's called Trumpet. He it... is called Trump, Trumpet, yeah. Seven's Loud is the name of the thing that he puts, the, the mask that he summons and puts on, which amplifies his voice. So we get an explanation of what his quirk is, which is called Insight. Uh, his, the waves in his voice give people a boost if they agree with him, essentially. Uh, and the more his voice causes the air to vibrate, the greater the effect. So the fact that he's putting on this special sound amplifying device gives the power boost that they're having even greater effect. And that's why he was actually using the megaphone earlier, presumably. Now, why he didn't just bother just using this right at the beginning, whatever. Shonen now, jump fight escalates, whatever. Yeah, we got we to gotta slowly increment ourselves there. Now, I, I got a question. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you mentioned that it, it, they have to agree with him. I don't know. Do they specifically say that? They have to they have agree to be his allies. So. Okay. I would love it if it was specifically they had to agree with him. So he's just out there. He's like, charge my minions. Go forward. Save and destroy the people who hurt our leaders. We are unstoppable. And a hot dog is a sandwich. And like half the group stops. Like, hmm, wait, what now? And then there's like, there's like a big argument. One guy's like, well, I mean, when you think of that, like a Subway sub's still a sandwich. So if you just replace the lettuce and stuff with just a hot dog, is it not still a sandwich? <laughs> and you just see like half the group strength just completely deflate. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> go and crush the non-believers and Rogue One is better than The Last Jedi. He's uh... <laughs> like, look, I wasn't huge on Last Jedi, but Rogue One is really a movie that got worse the more I thought about it. He's like, that, I didn't, you know what? I should stop bringing pop culture into this. 
Although I, I do have other strong opinions that I, <laughs> I kind of want to get out there. Parks and Rec is better than The Office. Like, I don't know what you're trying to do, man. This, this is making your job a lot harder. Bleach had a satisfying final arc. Oh, no, now you're just taking the piss. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, no, man. And yeah, it just like disperses immediately. Ah, fuck this guy. <laughs> so... Trumpet kind of mocks Spinner saying, like, I, I mean, you, your gecko metability, I mean, lets you cling to walls, but who gives a shit? Just like, <laughs> like, I want everyone in this world. I know that, you know, because of your meta ability, you've been shunned by society, but your ability sucks. There's no way you're going to fit in with the rest of us either. <laughs> I, do. I do actually appreciate because it shows what tremendous hypocrites the meta liberation army is because they're like oh yes this we will allow people's meta abilities to flourish you know if their meta ability is like good yeah it's cool <laughs> you know because like at least whenever magneto w was doing his whole brotherhood of mutants thing it was like i will you know take up all of the shunned people and we are the true you know superiors of humanity and so well i mean like you're <sighs> Like, Your teeth are long, so get the fuck out of here. Like, he comes to that one kid from X2 who could change the channel by blinking. And he's just like, eh, I'm kind of looking for something with a little bit fi more firepower to like, be lifted yeah. up, etc. You're not part of the New World Order, kid. Get the fuck out of here. Did you watch the new one yet, Nick? I have not seen an X-Men movie since uh, Days of Future Past. So, I think you've made good decisions. Apparently, I uh, like it. That was the last really good one. So, yeah. Anyway, um, Spinner nearly gets to Trumpet, but uh, another guy manages to intercept him, and he just <laughs> he just goes, "You're not getting the point!" and sprouts spikes everywhere. That's his one line. <laughs> I'd like to hope that he was sitting there. And he's just like, one day, spike to meet you. No, that doesn't make sense. Uh, is that a knife in your pocket, or you just had? No, that's weird. Um, I've got. <laughs> I know that this matter is needling away at you. No, no. <laughs> he's like, what's the best kind of punch to throw? A uh, jab. No, god damn it. I got, um, you know what? I'll just go with the point one. I, you know, it's been in my back pocket. I'm not thinking of anything better. Maybe I could do like a Sonic the Hedgehog reference. Or, uh. <laughs> he just jumps out. He's just like, I fucking the point. <laughs> <laughs> Spinner does get really fucked up by this. Like some of the guy's needles actually go through his arm and come out the other side, which is uh, really grody. He manages to fight him off by, you know, slicing at his neck with one of his blades and then gets away from him. Uh, and uh, then Spinner thinks to himself what Trumpet said about, oh, there's no way you can become a worthwhile person. And Spinner's like, I know that, you know, when I get inspired to act, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just a loser jumping on a bad bandwagon, or at least that's what it looks like. And we see a little bit of more of his past when he was, you know, just at home uh, being a shut in who played video games and watched TV. And that was when he saw uh, Stain on TV. And that was when he was inspired but I have to draw attention to the fact that he's wearing a shirt or a jacket in this shot of him in the past that says on the back, you must die, <laughs> which is just such a random reference <laughs> to a Legend of Zelda PC game. <laughs> I mean, 
he's 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 into those deep track nerd references. I guess. Um, and Spinner's like, but I know that. See, I'm not like you know Toga. You know that I'm not. You know I don't have something that I love, and that's that, that drives me. Uh, but back then, I know that something lit a fire in my heart. All I could think was how I wanted a glimpse of the future that he was imagining. And I got to help Shigaraki somehow. So he admits, I'm just nobody who jumped on a bandwagon. But what's wrong with that? Nothing, right? And you people ain't much better. Ain't that right, politician? And Trumpet's like, how dare you? And uh, then we cut away again. Is that his voice? He's a giant. He has seven megaphones. How dare you? There we go. I want every moment for your mic to be like, please, no. <laughs> we cut over to the main boss battle between Shigaraki and the Detnerat CEO, Redestro, uh, who has just gone full, like, giant muscle body form. Uh, he's poking and has huge fists, but his head is still the same size. And uh, Shigaraki... Uh, begins fighting him. He tries doing a thing where he disintegrates the ground beneath his feet uh, using his touch. Uh, and uh, so the twice clone that is still left there uh, grabs Jiren and is like, okay, let's get out of here because he's just crumbling everything beneath him now. So uh, Shigaraki has you know mocked him saying like, eh, how do you feel right now? You probably feel pretty crappy. You thought that we would be an easy thing for you to take down, but eh, here I am. Knocked you down a peg. How does that make you feel? And Redestro says, I'm actually really pissed off about it. And I'm the type to let my rage build up, which is why my forehead is like this. You killed many of my warriors on your way here. And then Shigaraki's hand explodes. Um, well, half of it explodes, like all all of it except for like the ring and pinky finger area get completely bl- obliterated off. And we get introduced to him properly. Uh, his, co- his full name is Rikia Yotsubashi code name Redestro. And his quirk is called stress, which accumulates all the stress that he feels and converts it into sheer power. So a little bit of a twist on the whole power storage thing that we've seen before um but he has grabbed shigaraki by the wrist and used his other hand to just kind of explode slash pinch off his part of his hand um it's like even worse than if like his entire hand had gotten ripped off honestly it's gross um so it seems that this fight is going to actually have real consequences for the league of villains uh if this is what's happened it makes me wonder if shigaraki's just gonna go through life with a hand that can't use his quirk properly now because he's going to have all five fingers clasp or maybe like the scientist will whip something up so that uh, it will get his hand back or something like that. Oh, fuck. We we'll could just have twice make a clone of him and cut the hand off and be like, sew this on. <laughs> it works the same way. Maybe. Not sure I if mean, that'll work. Shit, if a blood transfusion for Toga is going to work. Blood transfusion is a little different from a limb transplant, though. True. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, uh, we cut, uh, to the outskirts of the city where, uh, slip and slide is still, uh, I forget what his actual name is. I think that it's something very close to that though. He's still on patrol on the outskirts and he's like, oh, wow, yeah, we've, we've got to, you know, block this road off, uh, because of all those villains going off on over there. Actually, he refers to them as gosh, awful villains. 
Golly gee there. Slide and go. That was his name. Slide and go. Not slip and slide. Um, but as he is diverting traffic, suddenly he feels the ground shaking. So it seems that... Oh, uh, maybe the Vanga bus is coming. Yeah, And all it. the rocket party it's bringing is shaking the road. And he has to turn the Vanga bus away, which is sad, because the old guy from the Six Flags commercials, he really wanted to visit this town. He wanted to stretch his legs. They're going to have to send him away. Anyway. You think that's what it is, Nick? Do you think it's the Vanga bus? Sure. So <laughs> there's a couple of good bits in this in this chapter, I think, and not, honestly, quite a few uh, one or two bits that I think can actually be really memorable, even uh, looking back on it from down the road. I mean, just the fact that Shigaraki's hand got ripped open like that is that's going to stay with me for a while. So I do like how this arc is shaping up. I'm getting a lot more invested into it. I, do, I love it when we reach that point where there's kind of chaos. I've always talked about with One Piece and then my hero has been doing a good job as it's basically kind of. Showing us that there's like three major fights currently kind of going on right now and different mm -hmm. players moving. And then this like this impending doom of uh, Gigantomachia about to show up like it's mm -hmm. there's a lot of really cool stuff going on. I do like even though I'm not 100 percent certain why Redestro was able to just like melt a couple twice clones by touching them before his power was strength. I do like that. It's not just. I have big hand and you die when I touch you. There is something at least a little more to it as well. And um, I don't know. I, I, I really, I really am kind of uh, kind of just digging the small little parts here. Um, and just, it, it, it's all coming together in a cool way. Yeah. All right. Let's move on from there to the first epilogue chapter of food wars. Food Wars Dessert, or Dessert, Le Dessert, whatever. Now this is uh, another jump conspiracy, Nick. They don't want you to know how to pronounce it. Yeah, there you go. So They put all the sexy ladies on the cover so it would distract you. Apropos of absolutely nothing that happens in the chapter, we begin with a shot of uh, a bunch of the girls from Food Wars, and then Soma runs up to them and feeds them one of his, one of his I guess, experimental dessert things. And so we get this two-page color spread of all the girls being completely naked, lying in, like, a chocolate pie or something like that. And their bits are covered up by, like, whipped cream and chocolate. Most... I mentioned this before we started recording, though. One of the things that really grabbed my attention was the fact that, like, when the girls are just hanging out prior to their sexification, Momo is there. And then when they cut to it, instead of Momo, Alice is there instead. It's like, well, I mean, like, I guess if you're going to perv on an underage girl, at least she should look like she's not underage. But still, it's like. Why the hell was Momo drawn in the first bit? And then she's just not there. And then someone who wasn't there is now there. Yeah, I was like, why so, would you just include whatever. Alice? For the Continuity weekend? error for the cheesecake bit. Yet another yeah, another that, piece to the grand Shonen Jump conspiracy. conspiracy. Mm -hmm. yeah, see, all the pieces. I've got a, I've got a board yeah. and a red string. I'm, I'm slowly tacking up to the side here. So rather than going through this like all all step by step, I think we're just going to try and summarize the important bits. Uh, turns out that Arena won the blue. Uh, she made gun her promise at the end of the match that she was going to blow Soma away, and she she won. Uh, she got a really stupid looking trophy, which looks like she could just stab somebody with it. Then that's all it would be good for. Um, it's not all that spectacular of a trophy either. Like you, no, it's you'd, just it's just bleh. you'd figure if this is supposed to be the greatest cooking competition the world knows, 
uh, it would have a more impressive trophy than just like, I don't know, like the crag from fucking Guts was a lot cooler than this. They should give him a crag, a piece of the awesome crag, glows in the dark. Sure, whatever you're talking about. I'm going to go to eBay. I'm going to see if anyone has uh, crag pieces up there to sell. Okay. Uh, Silva got frustrated uh, by the experience of only being the runner up. And so he decided that he was going to go and basically reset himself. He's going, he was going to go and train. Uh, and after a few months hanging out and being kind of in a funk, not really in a funk, but like being preoccupied, he decided to just leave uh, right before their second year ended. Uh, it's now a point a year after the blue. So several months into their third year, uh, but Soma hasn't been seen in quite a long time. Uh, he's still the first seat on the Council of Ten, basically because Aaron, as the dean, has just granted him a sabbatical. And she's really pissed off about it, as we, as we find out about halfway through the chapter. She's just pissed off that he keeps on just not showing back up at the, at the uh, academy. But he still gets to be the first seat while giving to not have to do anything. And instead, Hayama handles all of his duties. So good for Hayama, I guess. He's a much and uh, now it's time. Character now. Yeah, yeah, it's it screen great. time. Yeah, yeah. Look at him standing in front of those walkie-talkies. How developed he is now. Um, it's time for the annual fall classic. So we kind of get introduced to this like new generation of first years, while the you know all of the characters we know are in their third year. I like that we see some of the Polaris dorm people just so that they can get the whole look. Their hairstyles are different treatment, and then it's like anyway, get them out of here. They're not important. <laughs> you know who else has a different hairstyle? Alice, her hair is long. You know who else has a, has a different hairstyle? Arina, her hair is short. It just kind of like transplanted it onto between cousins or something like that. Um, I, we see, you know, a bunch of different people are there. Uh, Ishiki and Kuga at this point have, have of course, graduated. Uh, a bunch of the upperclassmen who have graduated and are, are just kind of like showing back up at the end for, you know, part of the big finale kind of treatment. So Ishiki is there as a, as a special guest. Sukasa and, and Rinda were there as guest judges, uh, all that kind of stuff. And we see that also Soma has actually had quite a bit of influence on the student body that has followed after him. Uh, some people wear like uh, headbands around their wrists the way that he does and stuff. So he had an influence on the on Totsuki despite the fact that he hasn't been there in like half a year. So you know, a full like fifth of the time that he should have spent there by this point. Uh, Megumi goes to see Arena. Uh, we found out some of the stuff that Erin has been up to, some of the changes that she's been making and the f some of the changes that she's made to herself, despite the fact that she, you know, kind of hourly is mostly the same. But the way that the actions she takes don't match the personality she puts out, essentially. Um, fucking a whole bunch of people also make cameos, um, including some that I would be hard pressed to name. So I will not try. But like. The don't the one meat, meat bowl guy that uh, Ikumi uh, joined uh, up with is there. Um, the older members of the Council of Ten are there. Uh, Mimasaka is there. Fucking Ron Maru is there. <laughs> when Taru's there, Nick. Whatever his name is. <laughs> Azon looks like he got way hotter. <laughs> like, <laughs> He looks like he stepped down. That, that's a guy who was just like, I don't know how you age that much in one year. Him and fucking uh, 
uh, Kinokuni look like they have aged 20 years in the next year. Like she's like, well, after this is done, I have to pick up my kids from soccer practice, then get home so that we can have dinner. Like, I don't know why, but it's like, come on, girl, you're like 17. It's okay. Momo has not aged enough for all of them. So yeah, true. Uh, and then we just kind of like cut away right as the fall classic is starting. Uh, and instead, Erin ends up meeting up with uh, Joichiro and her grandfather and mother. Uh, there's a little bit of banter between Mana and Erin because Erin is, you know, basically like, I'm going to make you acknowledge me. And she's like, oh, no, it's not going to meet my standards. Uh, this was the root of why we grew apart from each other for a decade. But now it's why we love each other. Uh, anyway. Um, after, uh, the others have gone to bed, Arina is, and Hisako are hanging out with Juitro for a bit. And, uh, Arina mentions that Mana is recovering at this point, but she still needs more time to actually get fully healthy again due to, you know, not eating solid foods for a long time. Um, and, uh, she says that, um, you know, when Yukihira made that dish of his during the blue finals, one taste and I could tell it held the essence of everything that he is. And it made me realize I had to stand tall and face my mother head on. That was the only way I could move forward with my life. And then, uh, she immediately jumps to saying, Chef Saiba, what was your wife, Yukihira's mother like? Um, and Joe was like, you know, there was some stuff I wanted to tell you tonight anyway. So sure. I'll tell you about the time that I met Tamako and that's it. So it's a lot of like, just kind of laying the, like, this is kind of what's happened a little bit at the Academy and this is, and then the next chapter is going to be into, this is the important stuff. So it's mostly just kind of set up at this point for oddly enough, the epilogue. So, uh, so we won't get our next chapter until July. Mm-hmm. Late July, so about a month from now. Uh, Nick, how do you feel about this chapter? It's all right, I guess. There is some really weird stuff in it, but it's Food Wars, so whatever. Yeah. Uh, it does kind of, at least now that it's completely separated from all the blues stuff and the Yasahi stuff, make me think, okay, maybe there can be at least a satisfying, you know, final bit for the story. And I think that that can really affect the way that you remember a series is just, you know, the way that it ends at the very, very, very end. Like, I mean, a lot of people harp on how it's like, oh, Naruto's ending sucked. But it's like, yeah, the final chapter I liked. So Shiki left off on a really good note. Yeah. So. Um, I, I think that there's some interesting stuff in there. A lot of it's just like, it feels carbon copy essentially of what these sort of endings are like, especially the ones that we've read. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of older series maybe yeah. didn't do this exact same thing where it's like, here's every character and their hairstyles have changed. And we're showing you, it's like a montage of all the small characters. Like I get that this is also something for like people who have been reading the series for years and years. And I'm like, Oh, I want a chance to kind of say goodbye to all my favorite characters. So I, I can appreciate it for that. I think I'll still, where was Hulk it. guy? that's true you know big problem uh i I think that unless like the next chapter or two or whatever how many like epilogues are supposed to be are monumental i think i'm still going to kind of ignore all of this and just like my ending will just be where the actual official run of chapters ends at 315 because i just enjoy that kind of ending a little bit more uh 
a lot of this in here is just kind of feels like fan service to be like, hey, look, you know, Shinomiya is back and he he's the best chef in all of France, Japanese. I'm like, that's very cool. I'm not shocked by this. It's not like it showed up and it's like Shinomiya's in jail. He killed three people. <laughs> like I'm not like there was a, there's nothing. Turns crazy out the reason this. he got those three stars was because he ground up his enemies and served them in his food. <laughs> it's a real dark backstory. Anyways, there's a new restaurant opening in France if you'd like to go. So uh... human flesh free. Oh. It's a very specific. Uh... I'm not advertising. <laughs> I'm not harping on people changing their hairstyle as it being weird. I'm just saying generally when these series do these things, they only show singular panels or a couple different scenes of characters. So there's really no way for you to grasp that time has changed and they have become different characters aside from noticing that their hairstyle usually has changed. And he was wearing eyeglasses to show that time had passed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's not as though someone talked to them and they're like, oh, no, they're different people now. It's just like a montage shot of a bunch of people. And I'm like, I look, I uncut his hair. He's he's a different person now. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about Eden Zero, why don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Eden Zero here. Where's the chapter title? There it is. Chapter 50, halfway to 100, Nick. Master it's Corona. been a year of it's been a year of Eden Zero at this point. Can you believe it? <laughs> it feels like longer somehow. <laughs> yes and no. So the team has arrived on Sun Jewel, the gemstone plant, and it's all thanks to Captain Hendrickson. What's his name? Was it Hendrickson? I don't know. The captain uh, who got them there very quickly. So we see that the town is. Oh, hold on, Chris. Before we get into the actual chapter, we have to note that. If not for Food Wars' sudden entry, uh, then this would have been the fan color two-page spread this week. So another part of the Grand Shonen Jump. The Grand Shonen can't let... They don't want Crunchyroll Hero to have eyeball. this. They, they're like, no, they never let uh, Hero have the fan cover page ever. This gets deeper and deeper. I don't know if I really want to align myself with Hero, but I guess, you know, you find strange bedfellows and these sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, so they've they've arrived on Sun Jewel, and particularly they are in the rich district. It's called Gold Palace, and everything here looks like essentially Vegas, but made of solid gold. Like, there's still neon lights, but like the roads, the buildings, everything looks like it's made of solid gold. Uh, we get our big color pre- uh, color spread page, which is all the characters in bikinis, basically, except Captain Hendrickson. He's not there at all. He's not a main character, Chris. Yes, he is. He's the captain of the ship. Jim Bay's a straw hat. He should be in every straw hat spread. <laughs> Hendrickson should be part of the Eden he's Zero the captain. or whatever. He's the captain of Eden's one, though, Chris. But he's the captain of Eden Zero now as well. Man, no one said that. <laughs> fight he said that, but no one else did. <laughs> I'm going to fight everyone I see. Uh, so they all, everybody's there except Weiss and essentially the, the various signing sisters or shining stars, whatever they call them. They're all back on the ship, but Weiss stayed behind because he's apparently working on a new weapon that he says he would have had done before they even got to this planet. But Hendrickson got them there so quick and he doesn't trust that guy. So he doesn't want to leave all the, uh, the girls and Moscow alone with him. And I'm like, bitch, not for nothing. They're all superheroes. Like... (laughs) What are think, you gonna do? I don't think they need you to protect them necessarily. Like, 
That said, I actually like was very pleasantly surprised by that. It's like, oh, wow. Weiss actually like cares about another person. <laughs> this is what they they have thrown this in there where they're like, oh, Wise is a, a like he has a heart of gold. It's just buried beneath weird, creepy behavior. Essentially, he's like Ginro, but without like a brother to ground him or anything like that. Right. And not as well written. But anyway, he's on the, he's staying on the ship, so the rest of them are going to go find Valkyrie by going to Casino Paradise, and it's an exclusive VIP casino. It gets robbed, uh, almost to be. There is a small joke that actually is amusing, where they're like, we should go split up for information, so uh, Hamura immediately, like, shouts out into the crowd, I'm looking for my mentor, the one known as Valkyrie! Anyone, are there thou out there that may know her location? And they're like, uh... Maybe we should split up instead of just shout. She's like, I understand. And immediately just like breaks off into a separate group and does the same thing again. <laughs> so that's the amusing thing there. Uh, but then immediately the place starts getting robbed by a bunch of characters who are all wearing like weird masks of other characters from Hero series before. Uh, I was horrified at first because I didn't realize they were masks. I really thought mm-hmm. Achia was back. And I was like, no, this fucking this character can't come back. If you bring anyone back from that series. Um, And they're like, you know, Shiki's like, oh, well, I'm not going to be fucking. (laughs) I like how they start holding the place up and everyone's like, ah, and Rebecca's on the ground and Shiki's like, I'm not going to get on the ground. She's like, get on the ground, Shiki. He's like, how how long have you been traveling with this guy? Like, A, that's not going to work. And B, he can fucking take them. (laughs) But also it's like. Why are you on the ground? Like, isn't like, aren't your whole team supposed to be like brave spacefarers? Like, I don't know why, like, a bunch of guys came into a casino and you're immediately like, we should acquiesce, acquiesce to their demands. Like, come on, you're superheroes. You're, you're the ones who are supposed to be staying up against these guys. So basically, yeah, Shiki and Habora dispatch of all of them. They beat them all up and uh, everyone starts celebrating. They're like, yeah, you took them down. You saved our lives. And then a giant beam comes from the sky and encircles all of the criminals and the voice kind of calls out from this beam i do not tolerate crime on my planet and uh everyone's like holy shit it's it's madame Kurenai. she's here madame Kurenai. oh i love her and all the criminals start getting really terrified they're like wait no she wasn't supposed to find us our our plan messed up how did that happen and one of the guys is like ah i think the jammer in my helmet broke when they hit me back there uh, they're like, no, they start begging for their worthless lives, as a super mutant from Fallout universe would say. Uh, and the voice says, criminals must be punished. You will be died, Crimson. And uh, they all beg for their lives. And then there's a giant boom. And all that's left after the beam disappears is a deep red stain on the carpet. It's uh, kind of gross. <laughs> it's, pretty fu- it's pretty fucking brutal. And all of the uh, patrons of the casino start celebrating because they're like, yay, no villain can attack our casino or our planet. Madame Kurenai always saves the day. And one of the like patrons goes up to Shiki. He's like, well, we are very thankful. You were very brave, but you really shouldn't have put yourselves in harm's way because on our planet, we're always safe with Madame Kurenai around. And, her and her deep cleavage. Yep. And uh, I do like how uh, we uh, we do get a scene from Rebecca being like safe. You call that fucking safe? Something yeah, really. very wrong. Like all of them recognize that this is immediately. This is a little weird. 
So you're just okay with a bunch of people just being executed, turned into a bloody stain on the carpet with no trial. <laughs> exactly. So there's a whole thing. Uh, we, we, we cut up then to presumably wherever Madame Kurenai is because she's there. And she calls it a satellite blaze. It's a machine that tracks the location of everyone on the planet and can condemn them to death. So sort of a mobile targeting thing. If you watched uh, Winter Soldier, very much like Project Insight, where it's like, oh, we're going to keep tabs on everybody on the planet. Just need to have them target each other. And (laughs) Sorry. Winter Soldier is a great movie. (laughs) Extremely good. And Strack and Joe is also there talking to her. I think it's Strack and Joe. It is. Uh, Wow, I'm very good at names. Uh, he's tracking Joe's kind of like comment. He's like, ah, you divine. Hmm. She's like, well, my job is to merely protect my people. And he's like, there, interesting. Hey, can you locate <laughs> something for me? <laughs> and, uh, we cut away from that then. And we go over to Sun Jewel's other sector, the poor sector. And it is very poor. It's all broken up and shattered and everything like that. And it flies over to a guy who says, I always knew you'd end up coming here, Hermora. And he has, like, a little video screen of a spy bird that captured some footage of her. And uh, the guy looks over. He's like, what do we do, Lady Valkyrie? We we don't see her. We just see the bottom of her face. But there we go. All the pieces mm-hmm. are uh, pretty much in place. This is actually a decent chapter. Mm-hmm. I don't really have anything bad to say about it. That's an interesting setup. Um, and I do like some of the character qualities that are uh, portraying this. I was, like I said, very surprised to see Weiss actually expressing concern for other people. I like the fact that he was planning on doing something, but the way that their travel changed affected him, and that's why he's staying behind on the ship. It's a good bit of explanation there. And then, you know, just, you know, the three android ladies are staying on it because they're very tied into the ship. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's an interesting setup to the fact that they've got this whole thing where it's like, hey, everyone loves this, you know, execution satellite thing. It's like, "Eh, it's kind of fucked up. Yeah. Um, But it is also there is also the weird moment of Rebecca being like, oh, we better cower. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Just let Shiki punch them like he punches everything. Yeah. Some people were commenting like, well, you know, she's like the the Usopp of the group. And I, I can see that. I mean, maybe she is the one who's supposed to seem scared of the group. But it's always like, it's always just such a bad look. Because you're like, fuck, Rebecca's worthless. Why is she part of this team? <laughs> but otherwise, I, I, be- I do like this chapter a lot. I do want to talk a little bit about Beast Children. Uh, I don't want to go into the full chapter, but uh, just talk a little bit about what happens in it. We see um, that Shiki's big thing uh, that he's going to contribute to the team on is the fact that when it comes to sprinting very short distances, he has like pro level speed. Uh, So it seems like that's a detail that should have probably been given a bit earlier in the series. But here we are now. So. Nick, uh, we always said we wanted Ice Shield 21 to come back in the magazine. Very Ice Shield 21 chapter. <laughs> it's it's almost literally an Ice Shield 21 chapter because there's an entire discussion about like, uh, here's the different speeds people run and doing less than a second is elite for high school and doing it about zero sevenths of a second is pro ace level. There's literally a chapter of Ice Shield 21 that happens a little bit later where they talk about the 40 yard dash times and they mm-hmm. describe it in basically a similar in an exactly similar way where you're like, I mean, I get it. Ice Shield and rugby are very, like, football and rugby are very comparable sports in a lot of ways, but it is one of those things I'm like, 
I don't know. I, I would have done something different than my main character's big special thing is he's very small, but very quick. <laughs> it's also kind of odd because there was no indication that this was like uh, Sakura's thing up before this point. Uh, it was because he there was commentary about his feet. There, there were commentary about his legs being very strong before. Yeah, but like in the first chapter, the thing that he showed off was the fact that he was very persistent, not very quick. Mm-hmm. So it's a yeah. little bit odd. I, I do think they could have explained that a little bit better. But anyway, um, that's that's where what happened in that chapter. And it was a, a notable thing that happened in it. So isn't everybody so, excited? We're keeping Beast Children is still in the lineup to talk about it each week. <laughs> Very lightly. Samurai 8, Chapter 7, Encounter. So um, this chapter is all about how... Well, basically what the last three chapters have been about, which is that Hachimaru is such a little shit. Like, seriously, there's so much important stuff that Dharma is telling him. He's just like, it's boring. He's like, I think I'm allergic to acquisition dumps. Stupid. Like, this he's is like, important. You will unlock your ex- true abilities as a samurai and you will learn the true path and unlock your greatest powers. Like, Bored. <laughs> it's like, you son of a bitch. I'm trying to teach you everything about this universe. Let me what, let me just swing a sword now. Ooh, it's not working. Why didn't you tell me what I should do to get it to work? <laughs> Fuck you, kid. <laughs> so he's like just gotten done telling him what the bond between a princess and a samurai is important for, and he like he says very straightforwardly, like, look, the the most important thing for being a samurai is not about getting stronger. It is about whether you try to be strong. Uh, and so Hachimaru's like, you mean I should just act tough? No, no, no. It's not. The important thing is who you act tough for and why you act tough. And Hachimaru's like, oh, it's such a weird riddle. <laughs> it's not about what you do. It's why you do it. That's it. Like, <laughs> you've got to have something good to fight for. That's all that he's saying. It's not a difficult concept, you stupid brat. <laughs> I get that because he has been raised almost exclusively on video games, that he is very objective based, but still it's really annoying and not endearing in the slightest. Anyway, we see some other samurai uh, getting uh, investigating the tank that Hachimaru couldn't have like earlier that day or whatever the hell it was. When you think about this, actually, a lot of stuff has been moving very quickly in this uh, story in terms of real time. Um, And then we cut to a princess named Un, who is the one that oversees the princess training grounds that Anne and her friend are part of. And Un is just like lounging in her in her bedroom, eating sweets. Uh, And then she gets a call from the samurai that's uh, investigating the tank destruction site, Sir Hagamichi. And she's like, ah, hide everything. Uh, Make make, make the place look pretty. It's like, hello. (laughs) Which is a nice touch. I like the fact that they that they show what she's actually like. And then just she acts all regal and stuff. And it does actually uh, show something very important uh, that happens later on. Um. So he shows up, uh, Hagamichi shows up in the room, uh, and they talk about some stuff. And, uh, he said, and, uh, uh, after the, he, he reports basically what he found out. And then she's like, all right, I'm going to talk with uh, princess Sa, who was the older princess that we saw in the previous chapter. 
And uh, uh, so she reports the stuff that they found out about. And Princess Saw is like, oh, that samurai who did this is like, I actually wanted to talk with uh, to, to you about that because we were just talking about him. Uh, see, he became a samurai recently because of a lost locker ball uh, because from an apprentice of yours named Anne. So they found out about this. And then we cut over to where Anne is. She is in this princess flower arrangement class. And there's an instructor who's explaining it. Oh, you must express your inner beauty through the art of flower arrangement. And Anne's flower has like a man-eating plant in it and this like demonic face. And stuff. Somewhere like, I'm, I'm confused. How did she accomplish this? Like, did all of them have the ability to create monsters and they just chose to make pretty arrangements instead? In which case, I want to hang out with Anne. Yeah. Look at all these boring flowers. <laughs> it's like, that was the assignment. They're like, use your creativity to make whatever you want. And they're like, I could buy roses with daisies. And then the other one's Very like, good. I made a monster. <laughs> I made a Venusaur. I'm like, I want to hang out with you. Use your imagination. I made a monster plan. No, no, not like that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, no, dear. No, we're talking about like the safer work kind of imagination the, the, the imagination that we can you know put a put a logo on and sell to stupid kids for like 30 dollars a pop yeah maybe this will work if you get rid of the scary bits and then i can put a red bar with white letters that just says supreme across the middle then <laughs> then this will be acceptable uh I, I don't think that i actually got the point because she wasn't she didn't have enough lines in the previous chapter, but Anne has a very pronounced like stutter. Um, and I don't think that that actually came across fully to me until this chapter. I thought that she just kind of, you know, was a bit shy, but she definitely stutters a lot in every line that she has in this chapter. Uh, so Anne's been summoned. Uh, and so uh, her friend comes with her and she's like, oh, my God, maybe they found out about your locker ball. You're going to get scolded for that. And she's like, eh, it's OK. I get scolded like every day. Who cares? <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, we catch the tail end of Saab explaining the situation to Boon. And then uh, Anne gets brought in by Yoku, who keeps on yelling like multiple times during the proceedings because like. Anne might not be a good princess because she's a shy, eccentric girl. Yoku, however, is just like, oh, my God, that guy's hot. I want to do him <laughs> like in the middle of everyone. <laughs> Fair enough, I guess. Hey, 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 wear your heart in your sleeve, girl. But uh, Yoku uh, brings um, a lot of attention to the way that Hagamichi and Un are acting because they're acting very regal and proper. And she's like, oh, look at how perfect they are, which I get I, I do appreciate the line that's kind of running through this chapter, which is that Anne, you know, is very upfront about who she is, even if she's this shy, weird girl. She's not ashamed of that, whereas Oon is this kind of slacker girl. But then she puts on airs of refinements and elegance whenever she's in front of the appropriate audience. So uh, I, I like the distinction there. Mm. Um. But we get to know a bit about uh, Hagamichi there, and it's going to be very difficult for me to have a character named Hagamichi in a series where the name Hachimaru is in <laughs> the title. Uh, 
But uh, they inquire about uh, uh, you know the locker ball and the fact that you know Hachimaru has become a samurai and Hagamichi uh, wants Anne to come with him so that they can find him. And so they set off on Hagamichi's um, uh, carrier. I've completely forgotten the name of it. Uh, and he just says, like, uh, you know, we don't really know anything about um, who this boy is. Uh, we're actually going to find out about that. Uh, and so Anne's like, well, I hope he's nice. And uh, Agamichi just says, well, some Sarai and princesses are evil, so we've got to be vigilant. But it's OK. Uh, if anything happens, I will protect you. So don't worry. It's like, oh. I guess this guy's not a villain <laughs> or anything. You would think that when there's like, oh, there's princess and Sarah going to find out what happened with Hachimaru. No, oh, actually, it seems like they're cool people. So, all right. Um, Hachimaru is making an ass of himself, practicing with the sword and later with uh, with armor. He can't put it on properly because he's got no focus and he's a piece of shit. So Dharma's just like. <sighs> and then Hakamichi shows up with Anne. And Dharma is like, oh, who the hell are you? And Hagamichi's like, hey, I'm not your enemy. I come from uh, the Yasha style. I'm, I'm a legion uh, captain of Akagi Castle, and I've, I've got a question. And so Dharma uses their, like, cyborg samurai identification stuff to make sure it's like, oh, okay, or what do you want? And uh, they ask for Hachimaru, and Hachimaru is, uh, gets released from his armor right at that moment. He locks eyes with Anne. And uh, he introduces himself and then Anne starts to introduce herself, but she stutters and you know, mumbles and then kind of trails off. And Hachimaru's just like, huh? What'd you say? And Dharma's like, ah, this fucking kid. That's your fucking princess, you idiots. <laughs> and um, that is basically where the chapter ends. We do have a cutaway to ominous Akatsuki meeting area place, but that's about it. So. What did you think of this chapter, Chris? Oh, was there. I, don't, I, I just I can't. I'm trying to work up interest in this series. And even though this is like a much more simple series to kind of understand currently, it's just so fucking boring now. Like, it's just so basic with the, the premise of like, oh, there's a princess of destiny you need to meet. And I'm like, yes, I too played JRPGs for the past 30 years. And we eventually, I think, learned that this was kind of a, a blame story mechanic. So they need to do something crazy. They need to do something different. Or I'm just going to not be able to, like, have any kind of interest in this series right now. Mm. Like, there's there's no interesting struggle. There's not really a conflict that's worth analyzing. I like Anne as a character, but she's in a role that sounds immensely boring. Like, I like, mm. I just don't really care about seeing it. Like, I like her as a character. I probably like her as a character in a different series that didn't place her in, like, you're the princess that must be protected role. It's like, I don't know, we've done this, guys. I'm kind of waiting for, like, the twist in the premise to come up, I, I will say. Uh, I also will say that uh, I liked this chapter more the second time I read it as opposed to the first. Um, I think that just some details stood out more the second time through reading it. Um, overall, it's like it, it, I agree it's OK, but there are a couple of details that I did really like. But it's just details that I liked mm -hmm. um, that do give me hope that it's going to get better. So. I do. I do really seriously hope that we're going to get to a point where it's like, okay, we've we're done establishing what an ass hat uh, Hachimaru is. Now he's going to start getting better. 
um, because he's really has been coming off well in the past three, four chapters. So, yeah, it'd be nice. Um, I don't know. Does it feel like the series is lacking energy to you? I think that it really does not feel like it has a lot of urgency to it right now, which is odd because it is a new Shonen Jump series. But then again, I think it's just like, eh, it, people will see it's a Kishimoto story and they'll come out for it. So I think that that's it. I mean, like there was a color page at the start of this chapter and it's chapter seven to give you an idea of how well it's being received or at least how well it's being pushed right now. Um, so I don't think that Kishimoto feels any sense of urgency and he's just like, I'm just going to do my setup the way that I want to. So hopefully we get to a point where then it's like, all right, now we're going to actually go forward and do some interesting stuff uh, soon. So. All right. Let's talk about the last Sayuki. Chapter 16, a shining star in broad daylight. Shining star, Chris. Come to Puerto Rico, the shining star of the Caribbean. Yes. Gimmick. Okay. Last time, Estelle, in order for them to combat against the giant Kyo uh, dog virus demon, uh, split her Nyoibo in half, and now she is wielding twin clubs. Uh, and we get an action chapter after this. Uh, Estelle instructs Koharu and Ryunosuke of what to do. And she's like, hey, we've got to attack all at once. Uh, so I'm just going to go charge the thing, cover my pack. And she bum rushes it. Uh, it sends out tentacles to attack her. She deflects some that are immediately in front of her. The ones that come after her from behind. She leaves Ryunosuke to attack with his uh, extending, transforming Nyoibo. And so he covers her back. Koharu shouts out to Estelle when when her vision is clouded uh, for her to watch her left, and she bashes the fuck out of it with a giant mace, then uses twin giant maces to knock it up into the air. Uh, Her clothing has been torn a little bit, and she thinks to herself, are you watching, Mom? Because the clothes you gave me are in tatters now, but it's okay. Even if these clothes get all torn up, I'm now the person I want to be. And having knocked the demon up into the air like a volleyball setup, Ryunosuke swings his Nyoibo like a baseball bat and hits it out of the park and completely obliterates the thing. Very satisfying fight scene. Really cool. A lot of really cool moments in it. Extremely. Uh, like just not to take us back to, to Samurai, but just that moment when she says, like, you know, hey, my 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 clothing's in tatters. Oh, a little 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 bit of an exaggeration here. There's a hole in it right now. I don't know if that means tatters right now. Uh, but she has this big moment where she's like, no, fuck it, we're going to go all out. And I'm like, maybe that, like, that's the kind of energy I feel like Samurai 8 is missing, where I'm like, characters actually seem to have passion for what they're doing and like an energy to it. I don't know. Yeah. But no, I really think it's a supremely cool sequence of her launching it into the air and then... Uh, What's, what's Ryanosuke? Ryanosuke going. I wanted to keep calling him Karu, and I was like, that's not it. Uh, Ryanosuke going with like the baseball grand slam. It's like, it's a, you know, a cool fitting thing. Like, it's a, it's a very sweet combo attack that makes everybody look good mm. in it. And so we're just kind of like left with the aftermath of the fight. Um, you know, Koharu thanks Estelle. Uh, Estelle thanks Koharu uh, for, you know, helping her out and, you know, pointing out when the Karori uh, blinded her. And she also says, and also, you know, because you gave me the courage that I needed, so I wasn't afraid. 
And Kaharu just thinks of when Rinosuke said, I think friends are people that help each other out until she she hesitates and stutters for a little bit. But then she says, I guess this means we're friends now. And there is a really big emotional moment where the two of them are like blushing and crying and, and they're friends and stuff. Mm. And then it sells like, hey, Rinosuke, you kissed me earlier, didn't you? And he was like, ah, it's, it's like mouth to mouth resuscitation. And she's like, okay, thanks. And that's the end of the chapter. Cool, bud. Thanks. Like, all right. <laughs> so that confirms that he actually did like press their lips together in that moment where she needed to be revived. Um, I still don't really know exactly what happened. I guess he was sharing the energy that Koharu and he built up in order to give her her strength back after it had been drained by the monster. Um, don't know why he needed to spit it into her mouth, but all right. It's the weakest part of the chapter. It's a very good chapter otherwise. So, yeah. No, I, I supremely enjoy it. I think this this is kind of this has gotten me into this series where mm. I've, I finally I've kind of gotten into it. I'm fully invested into it just in time for it to get canceled, presumably. Mm. Uh, I'm really enjoying this, though. I think it was a supremely cool sequence of events. It's a great character development for Estelle, and uh, it seems to kind of like establish anything. So I dig it. If uh, the last Sayuki is on its way out, at least we got, you know, one last cool kick-ass fight scene so yeah yeah supremely all right we never learn let's talk about we never learn chapter sorry question 116 the clockwork fireflies yearn for the snow flurries of a pizza bet part three this is what you get this is what you get for calling we never learn a better series than than nisekoi (laughs) this is a good chapter though is it uh, at the end, <laughs> I mean, you gotta get this and stuff. So, uh, uh, it starts with Araka, who basically uh, echoes uh, the narrator comment before of like, it's been three days since Rizu stopped showing up. And uh, they talk about how uh, every time someone's seen her and tried to kind of ask her, like, hey, are you coming by to study group? She would nervously be like, sorry, I gotta go, and then run away. And everyone's like, huh, that's pretty weird. Uh, and Fumino and Uega are both super nervous and confused because they both think that they're the reason this happened. Uega thinks it's because mm-hmm. he accidentally like saw her while all, he's like, oh, any any number of risque moments that I've shared with any of these girls could be enough reason for them to stop talking to me. And uh, Fumino <laughs> thinks it's because unconsciously she's been spending more time with Uega and that's kind of like offended Ogata. So they're both really, really nervous about this, but they're kind of internalizing it. And then uh, we cut over to Ogata, who uh, is also internalizing all of her pain by sitting there thinking she's like, what am I doing? Why am I avoiding everybody? Uh, I don't understand my own emotions. So she goes over to the nurse's office and she's like, yeah, you know what? I'm kind of feeling a little bit weird and funky. I'm going to just take a little bit of a nap. But then she sees Yuega there. She's like, huh? Oh, I didn't expect to see him there. I'll, I'll just come back. And then she sees that, like, he's, you know, the covers are only, like, up to his waist. So she she goes over to, like, actually tuck him in. And then she's like, hmm, it's kind of cute when he sleeps. He looks different without his glasses. And his eyes just open up. And she's like, oh, hey, gotta go. And he's like, wait, no, wait, hold on. I actually have you for a second. I, I wanna, I wanna, did I, did I offend you or something? She's like, no, 
I just didn't want anyone to see how lame I am. And I feel like if I keep hanging out with you guys, you're just going to get fed up with me like grand grand. And he was like, your grandmother? You mean the one who made you all the board games? And we get another flashback to when Ogato was uh, younger, trying to be like, hey, grandma, play a game with me. And your she's like, nah, you got a long ways to go before you could beat me. And Ogato's like, why is that? Are you tired of me, grand grand? She's like, yes, I am. And she's like, well, because she's a kid, she's like, well, fine. Fuck you, grand grand. I don't like you either. I hate you. And then her grandmother died. <laughs> So she's like, I'm really sad because I never got a chance to apologize her. And I guess that she just saw that I was a horrible person and then she died. Uh, you know, and, you know, she didn't. Basically, she's internalized a lot of guilt over a lot of different mm -hmm. things and reflected it inward. Coincidentally, that's the same time Fumino walks in and is like, I think I need to rest down in the nurse's office as well. So Gata's like, oh, shit, I don't want to be seen. So she hides underneath Huega's covers. In the most and inefficient then, manner possible. Yeah, from like the the side bottom corner. And then some kind of scuffle ensues where Fumino is the one who is now like halfway out of the covers and Uega is completely beneath it. It leads to a bunch of weird shenanigans. Ogata, like, Ogata not Fumino. Yeah, but, sorry, yeah. Ogata. It leads to a bunch of like weird like shenanigans of them being like, ah, oh, I'm under the covers and I'm really close against your body. You know, I can almost see a Firmino skirt. It's just a bunch of weird things. It's a couple like amusing jokes where Firmino calls Uega and hears her cell phone ring go off underneath the covers. And she's like, hmm, I guess Ogata has the same ringtone. You're like, sure, that's the only possible explanation. Ignoring the fact that Ogata is canonically the tiniest person in the room, yet this bed clearly looks like it has two giant lumps underneath it. Uh, anyway, they eventually reveal Yuwig is underneath there, and there's like a small joke of she, her, of Fumito being like, "What exactly is going on?" And he's like, "Ah, just ignore it." And Ogata's like, "Nah, it's my fault." And she's like, "Oh, actually, this is more important. What the fuck's going on with you, Ogata? <laughs> like, let's let's talk about this." And uh, she's like, you know, I just have been feeling a bit awkward. That's that's why. And she stops. And she's like, no, that's not true. If I were better at understanding people's feelings, I'd be much closer to the person that I want to be. But the more I understand about people, the more I see things in myself that I just don't want to see. It's weird, isn't it? I wanted to like myself more. And all this has ended up doing is making me hate myself more. And all this time I've wanted to be more like you, but now that feels even more far away than it did before. So I'm sorry. I just kind of need some space right now. And Firmino uh, starts crying a little bit. She, you know, like, oh, Ogata, you're so, you're so silly. And uh, we then see several days later, Ogata heads home to the restaurant and she's like, oh, hey, Uwega is there. And he's like, yeah, I, I work here. And I had to feel that was something there for the audience who has probably forgotten the fact that Oga, like Uwega works like a job relating yeah. to every fucking girl in the series at this point. I need money. Uh, and uh, he's like, hey, I got something. I got a present for you. And he takes her over to the Ogata language arts test. And she's like, it's a present for me. He's like, mm, it's not just a test. It's also a game. And by the time you finish this test, if you're like yourself, I win. So it's, it's a little test that's being brought up there. And Yuega seems pretty confident about it. Mm. I think it's a very sweet end to that. I think it's a requirement of uh, We Never Learns uh, 
single character focused story arcs that when things get serious right in the middle, we have to have a goofier, lighthearted chapter to kind of, you know, alleviate the tension a little bit. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it happened with but uh, the Asumi thing is like, oh, yeah, we're just going to have this bit where she, you know, she dressed up as a doctor and diagnoses people in the middle of like the place I love is going to shut down um, and that kind of thing. Uh, so, I mean, it's like it's not a bad chapter, but I mean, compared to the emotional gut punch of the previous one, it's just like, hey, and now they're right there. There's under a bed and there's oh, but you oh, you guys, oh, he can see up the skirt and he's got the boobs in his back. So he's embarrassed and you, oh, he can't breathe. It's all right. OK, fine. So this is a bit of a come down from the previous one. It, it sort of feels like an artificial uh, extension of the sequence of events. So I'm just kind of waiting for the next chapter to roll around and for things to get back to, you know, the actual character stuff that was happening before. I really like the writing, though, in this. Um, I really like Ogata's whole explanation to the group. It's uh, very well done in how natural it kind of comes across, how she first mm. tries to deflect the entire conversation and then honestly like comes forward and just admits everything. It's, it's a very well-written sequence there. Mm. I can get that. All right. <laughs> well, if you didn't have enough comedy this week, <laughs> Dr. Stone, Z equals 110, beauty science, this fucking chapter. <laughs> so in terms of like actual like, hey, we were in a dangerous situation before with, you know, the people tracking the uh, lab vehicle. Yeah, they follow up on that. Uh because the large man uh, sees, you know, the tracks and is like, oh, we can follow them. Search for them now. But they do. They have plenty of enough of head start for them to just say, like, hey, let's make a bunch of fake traps and cover up the ones that were leading to us. And we see like this weird bit of Suika and Koharu doing this like Russian dance on top of tires in order to get them to go wheeling around in different places to you know, make it seem like. They've gone different areas, cover themselves pretty well, and they hide everything into this kind of underground, not underground, but there's a, there's a cave that uh, should be uh, well hidden from everyone searching for them. Uh, so they're searching the entire island, but it, it's so it's possible, I guess, that they could be found, but it apparently not. So now instead, they've got to get ready to cutify uh, Koharu so that you'll be chosen for the whole harem thing so that they can infiltrate everything, and get the weapon and stuff like that. So they're like, all right, let's do this. Uh, make over demand speedy renovations. Let's start with the hair. Let's see what we're working with. And Senku unties Koharu's hair and it whaps him in the face, goes out in every direction like it's Super Saiyan hair. Um, I do like the little detail where Senku makes a remark about how wild her hair is. And Gen's just like, well, you're one to fucking talk. So, so, uh, no, so my, my, my tips just unfrost themselves naturally. Yeah, really? <laughs> um, so they uh, create some shampoo, uh, shampoo Kaharu's hair. And they're like, <gasps> it's still the exact same <laughs> because her hair is so incredibly stupid stubborn basically that uh it needs to it needs conditioning for it to have any effect in terms of the shape and uh and texture of it but they do that and it becomes all silky and smooth now and they're like all right we've got that we gotta 
Now we've got to make some some makeup stuff. We've got to get some fer- perfume and glitter and foundation. All right, we did it. Uh, and so Koharu grabs some of the makeup tools and holds them like assassin's weapons. And she's like, all right. And then everyone's like, Koharu, you're. And then she turns around. She looks like the fucking Joker. <laughs> so she looks like she yeah. got some in her eyes. Like, I don't yeah. know how that's possible, but it looks like she got it in her eyes. She's got lipstick going into her teeth. I like the detail that there's just like a little heart drawn on her cheeks that looks like it's bleeding because it's drawn on so crudely. So Amorellis is like, all right, let me take over your Kohaku. And she's like, you you know, you would act, you're, you're actually naturally pretty cute. So it's not going to take too much. You just kind of have to like do some light stuff. And there you go. And hey, bam. And Suika's like, oh, wow, she she looks like the shamanist now. And they're like, oh, yeah, she's Ruri's little sister. Duh. Yeah, idiot. Stupid Um, old kid. Did you say stupid old kid? Yeah, they got, you know, they're just angry. They want to note that. Anyway, Kohaku's been successfully cutified now. So Amaryllis is like, all right, well, this sciencey Mako did the trick. But I wonder... The more candidates we have, the better. Isn't that what you said? So she turns to the guys. So some of the guys get makeovers, too. Actually, all the guys get makeovers at different points. Uh, so with Senku, it happens. And he's like, yeah, this is not. Apparently says like this. Yeah, this isn't going to work. So like, yeah, your voice is too deep. So that, no. Gen can imitate a female voice. And he's naturally, you know, pretty skinny. But they say he's too tall. And then, of course, Soyuz is this hulking, bald monstrosity. It's like, yeah, okay, no, that's, that, that, that won't work. I, I like that they had dresses that seemed to fit the other two. But with that, they clearly just took, like, the dress made for Kohaku. And we're like, let's put it on him. That'll <laughs> <laughs> be fine. I was like, why did you bother with the makeup if you were like, well, the only dress we have won't even begin to fit him, so... So, of course, Gohaku's like, all right, so if this is going to work, we need someone who's petite with a relatively high-pitched voice. And they just kind of, like, all turn as one to look at Ginro. And sure enough, we cut ahead to the harem selection, and right there alongside Amaryllis and Gohaku is fucking Ginro and Drag. There you go. Yep. I do actually appreciate a lot of the stuff in this chapter in terms of like, again, it's the point is not that, you know, Oh, how could Kohaku ever not look beautiful? Is it because she has, she just, this is not her wheelhouse at all. She tries to make up herself and she looks like a demon. Um, and I also like that if they're going to go through that whole thing, then it's like, Hey, let's put let's Let's have the guys embarrass themselves too. So. That's okay. I, I think there's some amusement points to this chapter, but. By and large, I think this is a chapter that amused Inagaki and Boichi far more than it did myself. Probably. Uh, I can imagine them giggling their asses off the whole, whole way through the creation of this chapter. And I was kind of just like, eh, I got, some, I got a couple chuckles out of it, but kind of ready to move on. I want to point out that I, because this is something I just noticed, when Gen is in drag, even like his his uh petrification scar is shaped differently it's not as jagged so it's more effeminate so that's a makeup there's some crazy makeup there that uh you know they can't cover up the cracks but they can transform the way they look 
So. All, All right. right. Let's talk Seven about Sins. Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter 316, The Lord's <laughs> Grace in Dula. Yeah, the wood. It's a stone cold chapter. Uh, so there's a small little description there about how this Indula is actually different from other Indulas. This is created by uh, the form taken by a member of the Ten Commandments who is loyal to the Demon Lord. And it's the most powerful of its kind. It's said to have a combat class higher than all other Indulas. So I wonder if we're going to find out if this is actually one of the members of the uh, former Ten Commandments. Uh, not a lot. We're still loyal to uh, <laughs> the Demon Lord by the end. A lot of them betrayed him. But there are a couple, so maybe this is like uh, Meloscula, whatever her name is, or something like mm. that. Who knows? We start the chapter off, we see everybody fighting, and there's basically a big discussion about how the fact that Bond has his new sacred cudgel, and it is very cool. So it is called Corchos. Corchos. He has a staff dongle. And uh, it's actually pretty cool because all this, like, the spores of Indula are going out. And they're like, if any of these land, it's going to destroy. Like, it's a huge danger to everyone. So we see Bond do his whole, like, <laughs> and then he has, like, this cool kind of moment where, like, we see the effects of it happening. Like, it starts to affect a little bit of them. But then we see some of the spores are landing. A bunch of people are like, huh, what are those? And then immediately all of them just explode. Explode and we get this this like kind of half two page spread of Bond in the air laughing with a salt hunt across the page as we just see the spores exploding from all around him. And it is super freaking awesome. It is immensely cool that he's like in the air and he's like, I just killed all of them from far away. Whatever, deal with it. Uh you know it's like, ah, it's it's been so long that my senses must have dulled. One of them escaped in the direction of Leonis. And uh, King's like, all right, well, we're going to have to get it then. So there's a brief moment of all the Sins kind of fighting. Like, they can't really escape away because, you know, the duel is here and they need to fight it. Uh, so we cut over to that one spore and we see several of the Holy Knights are there. Like, Howitzer and Gil Thunder and third one I don't know. <laughs> I, I swear I remember this guy's name at one point, but it's gone. And they are all rapidly defeated by this this thing it is it is way too too strong and it looks like it's about to strike no but down. we used our trinity attack we all equipped bows and attacked the same target mm -hmm. we're the pegasus sisters and i were riding on top of our thing we do our triangle or attack. or the green-haired brothers or whatever from uh oh um seven. path of radiance yeah was it no didn't they did they have one in because there was Lowen. No, never mind. I'm thinking a different one. I'm combining Cavaliers from different games. I'm like, no, it's like that scene where Lowen and uh, fucking Seth and uh, Chrome <laughs> and uh, Marth, they all teamed up in the triangle attack, the four of them. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they, 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 they're about to get killed. It looks like Guild Thunder specifically is about to be torn apart. When who should step in the way but Escanor? And uh, he's like, what are you doing here? He's like, well, I'm saving you, of course. And they're like, yeah, but we heard that you lost almost all of your magic. You know, the way you are right now, you can't beat this guy. And he says, well, sorry if this comes off as uh, you know impotent, but I'm not about to cover and hide to save my own skin. And they look, and they see him cough up blood, and they see the strike. 
not only completely penetrated the shield he was holding up, but also went straight through and actually stabbed him a little bit. And Escador says, it's all right. I don't have much time left anyway, but you youngsters have a bright and shining future ahead of you. So it's my job as an old soldier to protect that. The seven deadly sins, lion sin of pride, Escanor has arrived. And he pulls out a small dagger and prepares to face down this foe. Aww. It's a very sweet chapter, Nick. I don't know if Escanor's going to get his peanuts. <laughs> I do really appreciate that, you know, like Escanor has always, you know, had the chance to look badass when he's just in his full, it's daytime, bitches, muscular form and... Now he doesn't have that ability, but he still gets to have a cool moment because, you know, he's standing up uh, to fight without that power. So. And it, do, it does feel like we're kind of addressing things that do need that like weren't necessarily needing addressing before, but are like now that these extra chapters of epilogue, I don't know what we're called as epilogue two or whatever, like this is stuff to actually kind of handle. And I guess since we already felt the safety of like, one closing sequence of chapters, maybe more character. Like, in my mind, I'm like, well, male will have to show up and save him, and I still kind of presume that's what's going to happen. But he certainly feels a lot less safe, considering, like, we kind of already got the moment where all the heroes are like, cool, the day is saved. We got to party yeah. and hang out together again. And everyone lived, and we're all going to have babies, and mm-hmm. our kids are going to hang out, and yeah. <laughs> maybe not now. <laughs> Super cool all chapter. Right. Let's move on to the Promised Neverland, Chapter 139, Demon Hunt Part 2. Last time, Aishi revealed that she can fucking talk. And uh, so Don and Gilder were like, what? Um, but of course, she also heard, uh, might have heard the plan that they were discussing over wanting to protect Sonju Muchika. And so Gilda's like, wait, Aishi, you, you can understand us? And we get a flashback. So there's this demon who uh, works at a farm and uh, he has basically always had this very bizarre face, uh, even for a demon. Like one half of it is swollen and misshapen. Uh, it just lost its shape one day and just never returned to normal no matter what food he ate. It's supposed to you know, it's supposed to go back if he if he eats humans, but it doesn't do that even when he eats these, the farm products. So he's been mocked as a child. Uh, they talk about how he's like a wildling and uh, they that he should just go into the forest. But he's like, I, I'm, 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 I've been eating normally, though. What's wrong with me? And he's always thought of his face as a curse uh, and you know, hasn't gotten along with other demons, seemingly. So according to the narration, perhaps that is why when a human baby came through the disposal line one day, he saw himself in her. And we say a baby Aishi. And she has this scar over one eye um, and basically the upper right quarter of her face. And uh, the demon with the scar with the disfigured face looks down at her. Um, well, one of the others, you know, comments like, you know, defects like these are oh, they're, they're you know, they're worthless, but they're still edible. You know, it's kind of like a waste to throw them away. And so the demon grabbed her and took her away and so you know, as soon as he gets home uh he's you know freaking out because like oh my god it was supposed to be disposed of i know that that doesn't really matter but i still stole farm property so what am i going to do should i eat it um and he looks down at her for a bit and then he is like well i could treat her like one of my dogs and raise her that way i guess 
And uh, so, well, over time, he just decided, he just quits his his job at the farm and just moves out deeper into the woods, going deeper into hiding. And there's some amusing bits because, like, you know, he's got to raise a human child and he has no idea what the fuck to do. Uh, there are some bits of him, you know, having to look after her, uh, trying to figure out how to dress her. Like, he just kind of, like, wraps some random rags around her. He's like, how, what do humans wear for clothing? I like how <laughs> dog's like, that's not right. That's, that's not it, <laughs> that's, buddy. That's not right. But there's also a sweet moment where, you know, baby Aishi, you know, is like he's like paying, playing peekaboo with her and they like reach up hands towards each other. And like we see his like six fingered hand reaching out to her five fingered hand. And there's the narration says like he no longer felt cursed. They were happy. And there's just this really small montage of all the little shots as Aishi is growing up and eventually like, you know, a young teenage or like adolescent Aishi is just looking over books and she's fallen asleep over the books and he covers her up with a blanket. Aww. But then <laughs> so Norman's group showed up um, and the demon was basically wounded, took a shot from, uh, uh, gosh, what's his name? Zazi? Zazi, I think. And he crawled away heavily wounded towards Aishi, and, and he said to her, you've got, something's wrong, you've got to hide. Uh, and she's like, I don't, the demon's just thinking to himself, I don't want to die. And he just, with his dying breath, reaches out to her. And, you know, imagines himself reaching out to her as like a little, little kid uh, and then dies right in front of her. And so when, you know, the soldiers showed up and they're like, hey, everything's going to be OK. And she can only speak the demon language to them. What she is saying is, I will never forgive you. How dare you do this? I'll kill you. I'll kill all of you. So uh, when I first read this chapter and this started to happen, I was like. Oh, <laughs> it was I mean, I, I'm going to repeat what I said last week, which is this would be a lot better if Aishi had been built up a little bit more. Like even if we had like seen bits and pieces of her when they were still all hanging out at Norman's headquarters and she was just kind of like in the background uh, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's Aishi. She doesn't she doesn't, you know, speak our language. And then we slowly learn more details about her. This would be more effective. But. This moment, this flashback in in a bottle is very good, I think. And it's nice that we get another example of, you know, demon human relations that weren't uh, antagonistic against each other. Um, and also it very effectively explains because she explains herself right after this. Like, yeah, I know their language. I don't talk to anyone because I fucking hate them. <laughs> I don't want them to know I, I understand them. So I think it is an extremely well done uh twist i guess not really a twist per se but reveal to suddenly reframe norman the messiah and his group of human vigilantes coming in and you see them here and they're they're like horror monsters when you mm -hmm. see zazi just ripping him across the face and the shot of them all coming out with roman uh, norman in his big robes and these other mm -hmm. figures kind of looming behind him in his light and she's just there looking at these, you know, to her monsters, these murderers who just killed her father. It's it's extremely well done. And I wish, like, it's annoying because seeing this reminds me just how well the promised Everlake could write characters. And you're like, God, I wish you would write 
all of these characters as well as it's like actually give mm-hmm. us a reason to care about them instead of just being like chris is sick and i'm like yo yes chris <laughs> my favorite character on the basis that i have the same name as him and nothing else i also like that you know the first time we saw this like you you mentioned the the messiah thing like because you can see like the light shining down on norman in his hood and when we first saw that shot he was like you know reaching out to her as her savior. But then, of course, you think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, that was from the perspective of his closest followers who explained that story. So, of course, they explained it that way. Like, we were definitely meant to take this the way it was presented at first, that, you know, mm-hmm. Ash or Aisha, whatever it is, um, you know, she was this, like, weird pet dog to this demon and they you know she was rescued you know with tears in her eyes and how scared she was and then this you know this real kind of really recontextualized all that and it makes her a lot more interesting like i'm super intrigued to find out what she's going to do going forward because it's a new dynamic into everything you know not just that oh okay well she's not just gonna rat and don and gilda and kill them like she's probably gonna try to help work with them in some way but it also like puts a new twist to this where this is somebody who has this violent anger towards the heroes who is a you know a human as well you know mm-hmm. it, it's it's very cool to kind of see this so yeah and she tells all this to don and gilda and says, or and says like hey you know it's true that he hate humans but he was my father and i loved him and he raised me as my family. He was my dad and they killed him and I'm going to get revenge. And that is why I hate them. Uh, and uh, that's why I don't even fucking talk to them. <laughs> fuck, them. <laughs> fuck those guys. And also because it allows her to seem like she's this, you know, ignorant person who is, you know, no threat to them. Uh, so and also it allows me to survive if they think that I, you know, don't know what they're talking about. But then she questions Don and goes, says, hey, so what's up with you guys? You know, you 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 don't kill demons and you want the evil blooded to escape and other humans just kill demons without blinking. So you're different from them. What's up with that? And Don and Gilda says, well, we do hate demons. We're scared of them. But Sanju and Mujiga saved us. And Emma says that, you know, not all demons are bad. She doesn't want to fight them. And, you know, we're. Not really necessarily going along with with exactly how she feels about things, but we don't want to kill the demons if it's possible. And so that's why we're looking for Sanju and Mujica. And they basically all get on the same page. Um, And then Don thinks to ask, hey, so did Norman give you the order to kill Mujica and Sanju? And she's like, I don't know. I didn't receive any orders like that. Uh, so they're very, very happy to hear about this because <laughs> and Gilda's like, oh, Norm was thinking of protecting her. And Don's like, he reconsidered. And he's just like, uh, what are you guys talking about? And they're like crying and grabbing her hand and stuff. Oh, you weren't sent to assassinate them. And she's like, OK, yeah. All right, guys. <laughs> um, hmm, maybe I should still kill them. <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of annoying. <laughs> but then Gilda does think like. Well, maybe Norman just wants to bring them back and then kill them. And Dawn's like, no, no, no. That means they'll be safe for a while. We've got nothing to worry about now that we know that this one of two people who came with us isn't going to kill Sanju and Mujika. And then we see that, <laughs> of course, while they're talking with them, that fucking what's his name? Fuj- Fujo, whatever. Hayate and or Hayate and whatever his name is. Yeah. Yeah. 
he's met up with uh, with uh, some other guys, including big hulking soldiers. And they're like, as soon as we find the evil blooded, we kill her like the boss ordered. <laughs> uh, it is interesting, though, because it does show that Norman must not have trusted Aisha because he didn't give them the order either. He didn't give her the order specifically. So maybe he also kind of figures there's something up with her. So it does kind of fall into that level that like the really smart characters series are rarely ever tricked or rarely ever are made to look dumb. Mm. It does show that like Norman seems to at least have some wherewithal to be like, yeah, I don't know if I completely trust her. You know what? I, I, I don't know a lot about demons, but that one was crying out a lot in sadness. Maybe he wasn't a bad dude or we you know whatever. So it's cool to have that. I, I do like this twist and I kind of like that. Now I don't have to give a fuck about Hayate. Fuck him. Fuck who's stupid, yeah, like, oh, I'm asshole. super fast. You know, fuck you. You're not Sonic. Nobody's faster than Sonic. Meow. <laughs> Classic. Oh, man. That movie's going to be so good. What a great joke. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. He thinks he's a cat. Well, he's pretending <laughs> to be a cat. He's not actually a cat, Nick. I don't know if you saw the trailer. Uh, it's funny because he's very unconvincing because of yeah. his human mouth. <laughs> it's funny because, like, He's trying to pretend he's a cat, but there are no, like, four-foot-tall blue cats with, like, (laughs) sneakers who could run really fast. I don't know, Chris. Have you seen all those six-finger cats at the Hemingway house? (laughs) It's true. So, yeah, I really like this chapter. Um, I like the twist in it. I guess that probably Norman would have concluded that he wouldn't trust Aishi to be an assassin because even though her marksmanship has been really played up, Presumably she hasn't killed any demons up to this point. So that makes sense. So, All right. Let's finish things off then with One Piece because we have no Black Clover chapter to talk about this week. It's chapter 946, Queen versus Olin. Last time, uh, Olin, Big Mom, uh, punched Queen's giant brachiosaur head into the fucking ground. And uh, he's not doing so hot right now. She she picks him up and swings him around by the neck like he's fucking Bowser and throws him into the wall. And uh, Queen's kind of out now. So, <laughs> yeah, I was really expecting him to be like, ouch, and then get up. But we see him transform back. So she really did knock his ass out with that. Yeah. Uh, the extra benefit of that is that the huge shockwave that that sends off causes a uh, kid and uh, what's his name? to drop down and they're no longer being drowned. So they're good. Uh, Master Queen, yeah, like you say, uh, reverts back to his human form. And so people are panicking now. Uh, and uh, then they also observe like, hey, wait a minute. The guy that was chained up in that cell over there, is, is, the cell broke open. Maybe he died inside. So uh, they also think about like, what should we do? Should we shoot her? And she's like, No! No, but just piss her off. <laughs> I think we should just shoot her, you know? Yeah. How angry could she get? I don't read the news or listen to people talk about things in this world. I bet she's pretty calm when she gets really kind of agitated. Once you put a few bullets in her, she'll just calm right down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they also say to the Warren that their transponder smells are not working. They're not getting any, any signal. So we see that uh, this is the work of Rizo and Caribou, uh, who basically told him where to find the central transponder snail. Basically, the way that these mini snails work is that it's like a cell phone and a cell phone tower. 
So if you take out the tower, then the cell phones are no good. They won't. They won't get, have anything to go to. So he basically. Hold on. Call, uh, how do cell phones work? So they're like a walk. They're like walkie talkies, but they have to go to a big walkie talkie. So for it's to work. like two cans with a string between them, but the string also connects to a giant radio tower that sends out electromagnetic waves to connect your string and can to potentially hundreds of cans and string all across the world. Yes, you're correct. That is way less difficult to understand than cell phones connecting to a tower. So, But how do people not get caught up in all the string? That's a very good question, Chris. Why don't you look into that? All right. All right. So Caribou actually has uh, demonstrated that he's actually been a little bit helpful during this because he he knew the location of the central boss snail uh and he was like and uh, if i gobbles up the boss snail for udon here what'll happen then is and and uh so he's like uh so i've got this information so let me do my thing the signals will go down you do your thing and steal the keys and so that's what they've done caribou has actually done that uh, Rizo has grabbed some keys from a place and he's like, all right, a little bit longer, Kawamatsu, and then I'll set you free because he's no longer currently where the cells are. So he doesn't know that Kawamatsu has apparently been broken out. Uh, meanwhile, back in. <laughs> so Olin found Queen's giant pot of Oshiruko. Hmm. Uh was drawn to the scent and they're like, Oh no, it's going to be empty. What will happen? She's going to be so pissed off when she finds out that there's none of it. She might slaughter us all. And she opens up the pot and it's empty. And she gets a very downcast look on her face. And everyone's like, run the fuck away. She's going to kill us. And he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I get what she said. I wish I could eat that stuff again too. It sure was tasty. <laughs> it immediately announces his guilt. And Big Mom turns and glares right at Luffy and gets pissed off at him. And they're like, no! Fool! And Luffy's like, oh, did I say that out loud? I was only thinking about how good that Oshiruka was. I just thought about how good it was to eat it. But I ate it last night. So Big Mom immediately starts attacking Luffy. And Luffy's like, no, no, if we fall from this spot, you'll kill us. The, the collars will cut our heads off. And Luffy, and Big Mom's just like, who's Big Mom? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you eat the Oshiruko? And Luffy's like, oh, I get it. She must not recognize me through my samurai disguise. I love how Luffy rationalizes this. <laughs> Uh, so she starts attacking them. Luffy's dodging out of the way, but they're backed up to the edge of the ring. And, and they're like, oh, no, if we take another step, then the collars will cut our heads off. Uh, so one of the guards is like, yes, that's right, Big Mom. Take them and leave us alone. And Big Mom throws a rock at him. And she's like, everyone in that poor little village was so nice to me. I wanted to take back all their Oshiruko for them. It's kind of sweet that she was actually trying to think of everybody else. I wanted to have, I want everyone to have the Oshiruko with me. And it was like, oh my gosh, she was actually going to be nice. So why did you eat all you assholes? <laughs> <laughs> so she attacks them one more time. Luffy and uh, the old man are forced to back out of the ring, leap backwards through the air. And they're like, oh no. Uh, so Luffy just like, I'm not going to let you die. 
and grabs his collar and throws it up into the air and it explodes up in the air without having cut his head off. And uh, Luke's like, oh, I, I, I got our collars off. And uh, immediately he realizes, oh, this boy he used the technique. So he's like, let's run away. And he's like, no, I'm going to stay right here. Protect me. In the midst of this danger, the power will truly blossom. And Luffy's like, if I mess this up, though, you're going to die. I know that. And so this is apparently Luffy's chance to master the technique that they've been trying to do during their uh, sumo matches and stuff. Uh, really fun chapter all the way through. I love the double subversion that happens with it looks like, oh, Big Mama's really pissed off. No, no, she's pissed off because she wanted to share the Oshiriko with everyone. And the reason that she's pissed off at Luffy in particular is just because, like an idiot, he just declared that he had eaten all of it as opposed to her just, you know, being evil. So I do like it. It's it's a very fun chapter. It's a good, like, reminder of why Luffy is such a great protagonist. And uh, it's very cool at the end. I do like that moment when he t- just tears it off and, you know, the old guy is just like, oh, my God, did you just use? Like, it's it's that right level of, like, go fuck yourself. I'll explain it next time <laughs> that I'm like, all right, you got me, motherfucker. I'm in. What, what, what's Luffy's new power up? Right. So it's very, it's very cool. I'm very excited to see how this is going to go. Yeah. All right. That is going to do it for the Mug Recap this week, guys. So we are going to close out here with our favorites. MVP in uh, chapter of the week. I think Chris. my... I've been waffling, but I think what it's going to... I think uh, I'm going to give my series of the week to The Promised Everland because I really, really enjoyed that chapter. I really, really liked the way the reveal was done. I really like how it showcased... Got me interested in a character where Promised Everland has been particularly terrible at introducing and making you care about new characters for a very long time. So this was like a story that immediately was like, ah, okay, cool, I'm, I'm into this one. And then for my MVP, I'm going to give it to Estelle uh, from uh, Last Sayuki, because I, I thought it was a really satisfying explanation or like exploration of her character, a cool little like finale, and a big setup cool combo kill was very, very satisfying. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to say that my favorite chapter was... Uh... Was the uh, that the, was also the promise? Never mind. Okay. Uh, there were a lot of good chapters this week. Honestly, uh, My Hero Academia was good. One Piece was good. Last Sayuki was good. But I- I'm going to give it to the Promise Neverland for the same reason, uh, and because it is the one chapter that I read this week that legit really, really surprised me uh, in terms of how good it was. Um, so yeah, I got to give it to that. Uh, my MVP, however, is going to be Escanor. I love the moment of him standing up against this uh, great threat without any powers to speak of and seemingly willing to lay his life on the line in order to protect these people and just be a good person. That's very satisfying. Uh, I'll note that my picks uh, seem to line up with what the audience picked as well, with uh, the Promised Everland being their chapter of the week and Estelle being their MVP of the week. What? Who could have thought that Estelle would be m- most popular with our listeners? Like, um, no. I'm trying to see. Three weeks now running, Estelle has been the most popular character to the audience. So clearly, if you want to impress the Weekly Manga Recap audience, you need to put uh, more magical fucking uh, shoujo magical girls like maces and, and, you know, panic, anxiety conflicts as well. You just you put them in. It's all good. Um 
I'm, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of how this ties into the Grand Show to Jump conspiracy, but I assume it's just going to be because <laughs> the last Sayuki's ending. So there you go. I don't want to give uh, the weekly manga recap audience what they want. That's going to do it for the show. Thank you everyone for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We record the show on smashcat.tv slash reload twitch.tv slash reload sometime between 7 and 8 Eastern on Thursdays, Wednesdays. I need to change that in my little spiel so that whenever I read it off, I don't say Thursdays. It's Wednesdays now. There. Safe. You can follow us online for updates on when exactly we start the show each week. At the Bimar Podcast is the official podcast account. At Reload and at Nick F Time are your hosts. You can also check out our past episodes on Podbean, on YouTube, on iTunes. Uh, Chris just uh, posted a buttload of episodes to uh, Podbean, so you can go through our backlog now if yep. you've been waiting on that. They're, they're all current now, currently, with uh, Podbean, and episodes will be going up on the YouTube. It's going to be one day at a time because YouTube doesn't like it if you upload more mm-hmm. than one thing at once, basically. So those will go up very slowly, but those will incrementally go up until we're all caught up. We should be good. So... Listen and subscribe and like and comment and all that good stuff. Algorithms. Be sure to send us feedback as well. You can do that by uh, going on our Discord server. You can do that by going sending us a mail, weeklymongrecap.yahoo.com. And those are also good places to ask us questions or suggest future manga for us to read. Uh, X3i, the person who runs the Google Sheet that keeps track of everyone's favorites and MVPs and also manga recommendations and stuff, has also asked me to mention the WMR Supplemental Year-End Awards. So if you have, for example, a kick-ass two-page spread that you see when you're reading stuff and you're like, oh, I want to nominate that, that sheet is also a good place to do that. And uh, that'll uh, give us some choices for what to pick out uh, as moments and characters and stuff like that at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. You allow us to create all sorts of fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. To Steve Manor, Tower Car Artist, to Infamous Planet, for whatever the fuck you do, dude. And uh, for... <laughs> it's miscellaneous stuff, and, like, it's been a bunch of different stuff, so... <laughs> Very true. And also special thanks to uh, Milo Stillitz of SoundCloud.com slash Milo-Jack-Stillitz and Winsledale Cheddar youtube.com slash Winsdale Cheddar and Winsdale Cheddar on on Twitter uh, for the opening sequence you guys made for us. Very, very cool. Yes, it was extremely awesome. Uh, I also had to give a shout out to uh, eBay, which does have Astro Crag Trophy or Agro Crag Trophies available. However, they're $50 and looking closely, they look like garbage. It looks like styrofoam painted green on a base of more styrofoam that's just painted black that has a gut sticker uh, just slapped over it. And uh, Nick, do you think we remember things more impressively as children because everything was so big and we were so small at the time? Oh, that's what you were talking about. Guts. Okay. Yeah. Do, 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 do you have it? Guts. Bow, wow. Guts. Now, just imagine, like, you know, you're doing that while, like, you know, white text is going up the screen while, you know, shots of uh, Universal Studios crowd that uh, got free tickets uh, to see the live recording is there and they're all applauding because they're just happy to be there and see little, presumably their own children compete in the show. How sad would it be if you were there to root for the other children? You're like, oh, I hope that Botvalian child just crushes my sweet little fucking asshole. Or they're like little league kids who get really pissed off at the show when their kid doesn't win. 
No. <laughs> this is a television show. You're going to be on television seems screaming obscenities at us. Fuck you, ref! <laughs> she's not an actual ref. She's a TV host. She's just in a straight t-shirt. Coach Mo. Actually, maybe she is a real coach. You know what? We're going to go down this rabbit hole and find out. Do, 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 oh, no. Wait a minute. Our, our, our feet's cutting out. All part of the Grand Shonen Jump conspiracy. Chris, this is where you edit in like video effects of the stream cutting out. Unless you were just too lazy, in which case it just cuts off naturally. 